Amen. You can have a seat. I'm going to share a video with you as we are wrapping up the uh, our four-week series on stewardship and on uh, giving and money. And you're, if you're like me, you're really ready for that series to be over. Um, but... Uh, one of the good things that we have is we have this video that we get to show this morning about one of, one of our ministries that is kind of share with you some of the results of your giving and your stewardship that supports this ministry. And it is a ministry to which I am partial as I'm related to one third of the staff. Um, but this is our student ministry. So if you'll uh, enjoy this video with me. I'm David Roper, Director of Student Ministries. Here at Alamo Heights United Methodist Church, we seek to partner with God to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. In our student ministry here, we try to do this by reaching out to junior high and senior high students and their parents by building community, providing discipleship opportunities, and mission and ministry opportunities as well. I'd like to introduce you to two people who helped me do this. My associate directors, Josh Gill and Stacy Smith. Hi everyone, my name is Josh Gill and I work with Student Ministries here at Alamo Heights United Methodist Church. I love it when students come together with fun games, activities, food, and of course, the most important ingredient, Jesus. The one thing I love most about Student Ministries is when I get to see a student really get it. We have a student last year who's in our confirmation class and at launch retreat, our biggest retreat of the year, that's when his faith became alive. He really understood who Jesus was and what he did for him. Because of this change, he became active in leading our life groups with our junior high students. He's hosting events, and now one day he says he's going to take my job. Better look out. I'm Stacey Smith, and I serve as the Associate Director of Discipleship for Student Ministry which means I get to spend my time finding ways to better engage our students in Bible study and other spiritual practices. For me, discipleship is all about sitting at the feet of those we want to be like, doing what they do. And our students get to sit at the feet of some seriously good teachers. Our students benefit from the weekly teaching and ongoing support of not only our pastors and staff, but also members of this faith community. Student ministry thrives on volunteer support. I read in a book recently that a young person befriended by a middle-aged receptionist, a 20-year-old college student, a retired bank manager, and a young parent of a toddler, all who seek to live and share the Christian life, will have a much richer image of Jesus, a wider understanding of Christian community, and a more encouraging sense of her own place in God's family than if she were ministered to by just one person. Each of us plays a role in the faith development of our students. I wonder what your role might be. I think a lot of times people want to help. They just don't know how. So about 10 years ago, I put together a formula that I call who plus what equals how. Who are you passionate about helping? Plus, what are you already just naturally gifted at? 
put those two together and often it comes up with how you can serve. Here's an example. Five years ago, we utilized this with some junior high students. And we had a group of uh, sixth grade boys who said who they're passionate about helping were the children affected by the earthquake in Haiti. And what they enjoyed doing was playing basketball. So they put these two together and came up with the idea for how they could serve by running a three-on-three Hope for Haiti basketball tournament. Well, that tournament has been running for five years now and has generated thousands of dollars for the orphanage in Wanamed, Haiti. Here's a couple of students who can tell you a little bit more about it. Hi, I'm Chris Roper. I'm a junior in the student ministry at Alamo Heights. Uh, we started this basketball tournament back when I was in the sixth grade. Um, the leaders there really challenged us to find our passion and what we like to do um, and combine those to raise money for a worthy cause. Um, recently, there had just been an earthquake in Haiti, and I saw how much uh, destruction and hurt there was there. Uh, we really wanted to find a way that we could uh, send relief over there to help them out. Uh, I saw an inspiring video um, about how bad it was over there and the conditions that kids were living in, and I felt terrible inside, and I felt I needed to do something. Um, I really liked basketball, so I decided to use that and create this tournament to raise money to send to that orphanage so they continue to do the good works they're doing over there. Hi, my name is Barrett Miller, and I recently played in the tournament, but after the past two years, I've become a student director for it. I've always had a big love for basketball my entire life, and so finding out that there's a way to do what I love to help kids that need it, the money and just the love sent through the air, just it really clicked with me. And as director, the past couple years, we've usually raised a couple thousand dollars, which is a lot of money to help these kids. We send it to an orphanage in Haiti that helps with hurricane, earthquake victims, because that sadly happens a lot in Haiti, and just to see what's going on there and to find a way to help by doing what I love, just, I mean, it's the easiest thing, and it just makes you feel good. This is just one example of how students, parents, and adults have provided over 3,000 hours of service inside our church and over 2,000 hours of service outside of our church annually for almost a decade. We definitely believe in partnering with God to try to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. Thank you for your generosity and your time and funds and support of this student ministry. If you'd ever be interested in ministering to students or their parents with us, I'd love to talk with you. God bless. Amen. Yes, clap for that. And definitely... You are a part of that. You're giving, and we are grateful. We're, we bless God for our leaders of David and Josh and Stacy. And I know Josh and Stacy are here. Y'all wave. And there's David there. Okay, they're all three here. Yes. So, if you want uh, more information about student ministry or how to plug into any of the things that they are doing, please talk to these three individuals after the service. They'd love to get you connected. I can tell you that I uh, got to be a humiliating part of the um, Hope for Haiti basketball tournament recently. I lost, not because of my sons, but because of me. Um, I was, we were in a uh, split division where it's, you have to bring your dad and be embarrassed to play with him. Um, but anyway, so thank you for that. Listen to this portion of the story of God as it is written in the book of our freedom. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one 
and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The story of God told for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Okay, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. And I'm one of the people who likes to get the bad news first. So here's the bad news. You have taken the time and energy this morning to wake up and get yourself into this church, into this worship service. And one of the rewards that you're going to get for your efforts is you get to listen to me talk about money. So you got that going for you, which is nice. Full disclosure, I have been dreading preparing for this topic about as much as you are probably dreading hearing about it now. Money is not something I enjoy teaching about in all honesty. Money is probably something I should not be teaching about. I'm not particularly wise when it comes to money. I have no training or education in finance. And I don't even think I have particularly healthy feelings or ideas about money all of the time. I've always wanted more than I have. I fantasize about hitting the Powerball jackpot. And when someone else wins, I'm usually pretty mad, even though I don't actually play the lotto. I catch myself treating wealthy people differently simply because I know they're wealthy. I sincerely believe I might be the last person in this church who should try to teach anyone else about money. So that's the bad news. Here's the good news. I'm not so sure anymore that this passage that we just heard is about money. Maybe it's about something bigger, something more important than money. The scripture we just heard comes from what is called the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is an epic collection of teachings from Jesus. Matthew's gospel tells us it was Jesus who said these words. No one can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. I have to confess there's a lot going on in those sentences that bothers me feels like we've plucked them right out of Matthew's gospel. Even before we get to the typical surface conclusion that we all make about these words of Jesus, that God is good and money is bad, I have to say that I'm not wild about the idea of being a slave to anything. And while we're in the context of slavery, I'm not particularly comfortable with the notion of God as a slave master. I don't like this scenario. I'm not comfortable with these word choices that Jesus is making. When I hear words like slave and master, I immediately think of the African slave trade in which our country engaged. That calls to mind all sorts of horrific history and imagery for me. Things I don't want to think about and certainly not things I want to associate with God or me. Slave masters traded and profited in human suffering. I don't want to think of God like that. And slaves were not considered human. They're completely devalued, treated at best as property. Slaves were completely powerless. And I don't want to think of myself like that. But the African slave trade in America is my context. That would not have been the context for the original audience of Matthew's gospel. Their context of slaves and slave masters would have been the Exodus. 400 years of Israelites suffering under, as slaves under Pharaoh. Their context would have been Moses, the plagues, the parting of the Red Sea. Their context would have been Egypt. Now the Hebraic word for Egypt 
is Mitzrayim. Everybody say Mitzrayim. Excellent. Anytime we read the word Egypt in the Bible, the real word there behind that English translation is actually Mitzrayim. And while Mitzrayim does mean Egypt, it also means a narrow place. Mitzrayim also means a place of boundaries, limits, and restrictions. To the Jews, Egypt was a narrow place. Being under a slave master is to be in the place of boundaries, limits, and restrictions. Slavery is a narrow place. It's a place of powerlessness. So why did Jesus use those words? Why did he choose Egypt, slavery, the narrow place, as the context for his wisdom about wealth? Why did he phrase this wisdom this way? To begin to wrestle with that question, I think we need to understand a little bit about the wisdom tradition from which Jesus came and in which he's working. In Hebraic understanding, wisdom is the fruit of the unending quest for meaning. It's what we learn from our experiences on our never-ending journey as we wrestle with ourselves, our God, and each other. The scriptures that Jesus and his followers would have known, what we now call what we now call the Hebrew Bible included the wisdom books of Job, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. Those wisdom writings, they sometimes elude people like me. I tend to read them as though they are pointing to a narrow place, a place of boundaries and restrictions, when in reality they actually exist to lead us out of the narrow place into something more broad and open. The truth is, I am a modern Western, linear thinker looking for rules and resolution. But when I pick up the Bible, I am picking up an ancient, Eastern, circular book filled with questions and paradox. These wisdom writings are just not usually what they seem to be on the surface. Let me give you an example from the book of Proverbs. In the third chapter of Proverbs, there's an amazing section of wisdom instruction. Verses 21 through, 27 through 31 say this. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, or it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow, I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan harm against your neighbor who lives trustingly beside you. Do not quarrel with anyone without cause when no harm has been done to you. Do not envy the violent and do not choose any of their ways. Now, at first glance, my modern surface, just the facts, ma'am, mind reads these wisdom scriptures and sees a list of do not statements. These look like rules, restrictions and boundaries to me. And in fact, if we were to look at the whole chapter of Proverbs three, there are eight more do not statements. It is hard for my Western mind to see anything other than those rules. But when we read ancient Eastern wisdom like this, we have to remember that we are reading a particular type of sacred text. If I read it with a very flat, dimensionless, modern reading that only asks, what are the facts? I will miss the depth of what is actually going on. These lines from Proverbs may sound like a long list of negatives, but if we read them carefully, what we find is actually a positive reminder about spending our energies well. 
beneath the surface is a statement that we have power. We have energy to give. And where we give our energy matters. Listen to this first part again. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. You have power. You have power to do good for others. Don't withhold that power. These do not statements are trying to connect us to the reality that where we apply our power, our energy, our resources impacts the world around us to be sure, but it also impacts us. How we spend our energies does something to us. There's this great scene in Luke 12, what is commonly called the parable of the rich fool. Some guy in the crowd around Jesus comes to him and asks him to settle a dispute between he and his brother that they're having over their inheritance. And he says to Jesus, Rabbi, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus' response is great, especially in the English translation, because they have him saying, man... Who appointed me judge over you? You probably don't read it like that. You probably go, man, who appointed me judge over you? No, but I like to lean into it. He's definitely going, man, come on, man. I mean, and and I love that response. Man, who appointed me judge? Now, I know that's funny, but we have to not miss the subtlety of what Jesus has done there. It's, it's, It's not him being arrogant. It's him being focused. He's not saying being a judge is beneath him. He's telling that man, that's not what I do. That's not me. That's not my job. I'm not here to give my sacred, precious energy to settling an inheritance issue between you and your brother. It's not about the ego. It's about engagement. Jesus says to him, I have things I'm doing, and that's not one of them. Proverbs 3 provides a list of things Not to do, because if we give our energies to them, we will not be able to apply our power to those things that bring us growth, to those things that bring us joy, those things that bless others, and those things that give life. How we spend our energies does something to us. How we choose to use our power can lead us back to Mitzrayim, back to Egypt, to the narrow place. Or we can choose to place our energies in people and places that open us up, that lead us to the wide open spaces of freedom. Let me share another example of wisdom teaching from Ecclesiastes. Wisdom teaching often explores or employs stock characters like the evil, the wicked, the fool, the prostitute, characters that speak and seduce and destroy in order to provide us examples of how our energies poorly applied affect us. The book of Ecclesiastes is voiced by such a character. It's voiced by the teacher, one who has given all of his energies to the pursuit of money, pleasure, and power. In Ecclesiastes 2 through 2, verses 10 through 11, he states, Oh, how I prospered. I left all my predecessors in Jerusalem far behind, left them behind in the dust. What's more, I kept a clear head through it all. Everything I wanted, I took. I never said no to myself. I gave in to every impulse, held nothing back. I sucked the marrow of pleasure out of every task, my reward to myself for a hard day's work. 
Then I took a good look at everything I'd done, looked at all the sweat and hard work. But when I looked, I saw nothing but smoke, smoke and spitting into the wind. There was nothing to any of it, nothing. In wisdom teaching, stock characters like the teacher help reveal the larger questions that dwell beneath the surface. Here, just as in Proverbs, the central question is once again, how are we going to spend our energies? What are we going to do with our precious and limited resource of power? With questions like this coming from the teachings of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, could it be that Jesus' statement about no slave serving two masters was actually trying to ask the same question? Maybe. If we look at the entire chapter of Matthew 6, where that quote comes from, the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we find a long list of do-not statements, just like we did in Proverbs. You probably know some of these do-not statements. They're the ones we always quote as Jesus giving us the rules. Do not sound a trumpet before you when you give as the hypocrites do. When you give, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites who love to stand and pray to be seen by others. Whenever you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases. When you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites who disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. This sounds just like Proverbs. And just like when I pick up Proverbs, my modern Western mind sees a list of rules. My mind goes back to the narrow place, to Egypt, to Mitzrayim. My mind goes back to keeping Pharaoh happy by following the rules. And in the middle of all these do not statements, Jesus drops his quote about slaves and slave masters. Out of nowhere, slaves and slave masters. It's like he wants his listeners to go there. He wants them to be jolted by thoughts of Egypt and slavery, awakened by the surprising reference. Could it be that Jesus is using stock characters, the slave and the slave master, to point to a larger question? Could it be that he wants his listeners to recoil at the very idea of being a slave or of God being a slave master? Maybe just like in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, Jesus is revealing the wisdom that we have power, that the choices we make as to where to apply that power matter, and that the things to which we choose to give our energies affect us. I think he is. But I also think Jesus is adding one not-so-subtle addition to the wisdom teaching about our power and our energy. I think Jesus is telling us that how we give ourselves even to good things, can enslave us. I read Jesus using the shocking stock characters of slave and slave master to wake us up to the reality that we can give our energies, we can apply our power in such a way that we actually end up slaves. Yes, on the surface, Jesus is right. We shouldn't try to give our energy and our power to two different slave masters. It won't work. We will be unsuccessful slaves. 
we won't be able to satisfy either slave master. But beneath the surface, in the deep, uncomfortable, paradoxical waters of Jesus' statement, is an invitation to go beyond the equation that he has presented. It's more than just a simple do not statement. It's more than just a rule, a boundary, or a restriction. The wisdom of Jesus invites us to leave Egypt behind, to come out of the narrow place into the wide open space of freedom. Jesus is asking his followers, do you give your energy to God in such a way that you end up seeing yourself as a slave and God as the slave master? That question should offend us. That should be a smack in the face, something that wakes us up. Our God, a slave master, absolutely not. Our God is in the freedom business, always has been. This is the God of the Exodus that sets people free. For crying out loud, when Jesus began his ministry on earth, he quoted these words of Isaiah as his mission statement. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim a release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Our God sets captives free. The last thing God would want to be for us is a new Pharaoh. We are not to be slaves to anything. We are sons and daughters, heirs to the kingdom. We have power. We have energy given to us by God so that we can do good in the world. That power, those energies, our resources matter. When we conduct internet arguments and slam each other on Facebook, when we berate the referee for a bad call at the basketball game, When we spend our money acquiring more and more stuff, we are making choices. Choices that affect others, but choices that affect us. Choices about where to apply the precious, limited resource of power that we've been given. Now our Bible, our story, has a very high view of the power that we have to do good. After Jesus heals people and multiplies fish to feed thousands, takes on Caesar, Rome, transactional religion, conquers sin and death, he turns to his followers and says, you'll do greater things than this. Really? Do we believe that? Do we think we have that kind of power? Do we recognize that we have energies available to us So that we can do greater things than Jesus himself did? Or is God just Pharaoh 2.0? A better version. A new and improved slave master. And our job is to be better slaves. I don't think Jesus was calling us back to Mitzrayim. I don't think Jesus was calling us to the narrow place. Jesus, just like Proverbs just like Ecclesiastes, called his followers out of Egypt. No one can be a slave to both God and money. Okay. But we're called to go beyond that equation. 
Jesus wasn't saying God is good and money is bad. He was saying, leave the narrow place, come out into the open wilderness. Use your energy, apply your might, release your power to act in the world. We are here to do good in the world, greater things than Jesus did. But if we're not careful, if we are not conscious of where we apply our energies, if we are not purposeful stewards of our power, if we don't get connected to that movement, that idea, that faith, that tradition that takes us beyond ourselves, we will end up slaves. How we spend our energies does something to us. The Spirit of the Lord is upon us because God has anointed us to bring good news to the poor. God has called us to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, sovereign of the universe, who has sanctified us with your commandments and commanded us to come out of Egypt. We bless you for the reminder that you are in the freedom business, that you have set us free and invited us to partner with you in bringing freedom to others. We ask for the help of your Holy Spirit that we may recognize the places that you are calling us to apply our power, the opportunities that you are giving us to use our energies so that we may join our brother and our deliverer, Jesus, in the redemption of all things. Amen.